I had nothing to lose at this point. I wasn't going to continue to dig the hole. I raised my prices. In fact, we quintupled our prices, 500% increase. My guest today on Bring On Success is an old friend. Ellen has been on my podcast before, but it's been too long. Ellen and I first spoke back in 2009 here on the Bring On Success radio program. Who is Ellen? Well, she'll tell you that she's the plumber's wife. Back in 1995, Ellen started Bare Bones Biz, a venture capital and consulting company. Ellen helped to grow Benjamin Franklin, the punctual plumber, a home service company, to a $40 million business in franchise sales and grew it to 47 locations in under two years. And now Ellen is currently growing the Zoom Drain franchise across our great country. Without further ado, my friend, Ellen Rohr. Ellen Rohr, it is so great to have you here on the podcast. How are you? Hey, hey, I'm so happy to be here. Thanks. I'm great. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. Once again, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day. You are sought after. Uh, you're constantly speaking and, and, and consulting with people, building businesses. And so once again, thank you so much for your time. I want to talk about two of your biggest hits, two of your biggest books, Woohoo! Exactly. Woohoo. It's awesome. Where Did the Money Go is a book that Ellen wrote years ago, and it's applicable today as it will be 100 years ago, because the only thing that's changed about money is its value at the time. Other than that, money's money and it makes the world go round. Where do people go wrong with money in their business, Ellen? Well, it's funny that you say that, like in terms of I wrote the book a, a little while ago. It's cool that you mentioned my books are still relevant and accounting and finance. Well, these are not new concepts. In fact, Luca Pacioli back in the 1400s documented the balance sheet equation, assets equals liabilities plus equity. He figured out double entry accounting. It hasn't changed one bit since then. So it's really fun to add my voice to a, a conversation that really should be had around every dinner table and certainly in every business. But boy, I didn't know this stuff. So I'm really excited to share it. I'm honor bound to be here, Jim. So thanks for having me. Yeah, no, thank you. Now you were thrown into this. Correct me if I'm wrong. This goes back some time. The plumber's wife, are you referred to as the plumber's wife? And didn't your husband yes. have a problem with his partner? He died? Yes. So you were so thrown into this. Yeah, my well, I I jumped into it. I you know, was I've done I've done a lot of goofy things in my life and this was one. I have a degree in business administration. I had a lot of experience in business. I even, you know, had looked at some financial reports before. So when my husband's partner died suddenly, he worked himself really into a health crisis, stressed over overwork and um caused, uh, you know, a health crisis and he died when he was 33 years old. And I bring that up not to like be a total downer on this call, but, you know, it's stressful to run a business and it's not worth 
sacrificing your health or your relationships for it. And it happens so often. And my uh, husband's best friend really punched out way too soon as a result of really overworking or not, you know, not taking care of himself and, and the stress getting to him. So after the initial grief uh, filled moments, you know, after our, our friend died, um, I turned to my husband and I said, listen, I'll, I'll quit my real job. I'll count the money. You turn the wrenches. We'll get rich. We'll work together. And it was absolutely awful, Jim. We almost killed each other and uh, we didn't make any money. I didn't have my salary anymore to add to the family fortune. And, uh, you know, they say that when pain of the current condition becomes greater than the fear of change, you'll change. And that's what happened to me. I started to reach out and seek some help. And I found some really great mentors. I always like to mention Frank Blau, who is really my greatest financial mentor. But he's the one who grabbed me by the chin and said, honey, you need to figure out your asset from your bow. And so I did with his help. I learned how to read and use and fix financial reports, and it made all the difference for me. It's why I'm a wealthy woman, and that's why I love to talk about this. I'm glad you brought that up. I was going to say one of your favorite quotes is, knowing your asset from your elbow, let's go into some of the financials, the balance sheet. Many people have heard of a balance sheet. Many people have them prepared by their CPA, but many of these small business owners, these home service providers don't really understand the balance sheet. What do we need to know? Well, I didn't either. I mean, I would look at the profit and loss. Sometimes that's called the income statement, which is your sales minus your expenses equals. If it's a positive number, it's a profit. Yay. If it's a negative number, it's a loss. I was somewhat familiar with the profit and loss, but the balance sheet was a big mystery to me. Now, interestingly, the balance sheet is the most important of the financial reports. This is what it tells you. It tells you what you have. That's your assets. That's good to know. And it's an equation. Assets equals how you got the assets. Assets equals liabilities plus equity. That's the balance sheet formula that Mr. Pacioli came up with. Padre Pacioli came up with those years ago. So assets is your stuff. What you have equals who lays claim to it. So liabilities are claims on the assets by someone other than the owner. So your truck loans go there. Your mortgage goes there. Your credit card and AP, those show up in the liability section of your balance sheet. That's good to know. How much do I owe? And then is what you own. So think of it this way, assets equal liabilities plus equity. Another way to write that equation is assets, what I have, my cash, my inventory, my trucks, my stuff, what I have, assets, minus what I owe, liabilities, equals equity. And you know, Jim, when we think about our home, this concept of a balance sheet is fairly easy to imagine. So on a personal balance sheet, for instance, you would have your asset of your home. Let's say you bought a home for $500,000 and you have a mortgage of $400,000. That means you have equity, the difference of $100,000. So all we ever have is assets. And on the other side of the balance sheet, that's our liabilities, our loans, what we owe, and the difference is what we um, uh, own. And isn't that good to know? So before I figured out the balance sheet, I didn't know 
what I had in terms of bills to pay, what my debt was. As long as I had cash in the checking account, I thought I was okay. But you can dig a big pile of debt and still have cash. And that's where businesses get into trouble. And the balance sheet will show you those things. Cash is under assets on the balance sheet. Your liabilities is under, you know, will list your credit card debt and your uh, accounts payable. This is how you know what you have, what you owe and what you own. Oh, so delicious. So unless you're running a small candy store on a table where you buy penny candy and sell it for two pennies. Okay. You saw that. That's on my website. <laughs> Oh, I hadn't. No, I I just made that up. So oh, in any, sure. well, I'm not the only one yeah. who has that story. Yeah. I mean, you know that that's what turned me on about business. As a kid, I sold penny candy for two pennies. Now keep in mind, my mom and my aunts were really my customers. It didn't dawn on me I might not be adding that much value to the uh, inflated price of the candy. But it turned me on to the idea that if you charge more than it costs. You can manufacture your own money. I think, Jim, that's what got me really excited about business in the first place. Luckily, all my experience after that didn't ruin me forever. Once I figured out how to keep score, I could make more money. And that's what really turned everything around for me. So I call it getting to a known financial position. A known financial position means that you can run a balance sheet, run a profit and loss, and Trust that the information is true and current, you know, up to date, and then use that information to make better decisions. For instance, if you run the balance sheet and you find out you only have a little bit of cash, but there's a lot of money in accounts receivable. In other words, people owe you for work you've done already, but they haven't paid you for. Then you've got a couple of action items you could take. One, quit loaning your customers money and take their money now. And two, go collect. Those are action items that come from using the information on the balance sheet to make better decisions when it comes to your livelihood. There's a lot there, but it's really not that complicated, is it? There's really only three ways to make money. And it's so exciting. Maybe four ways. And here's the three ways. One way to grow assets. Warren Buffett says, grow your assets. That's what you're in business to do. One way to grow assets to get more stuff, including more cash, is to borrow money. So assets go up, liabilities go up. If you buy a truck, that's what happens. The asset of the truck goes up and then truck loan goes up. So the balance sheet expands. You have more stuff, but you owe on that. You owe somebody for that. Another way to grow assets is to invest in the company. So either you or an investor puts cash in the bank, you're running low on cash and you get your mother to put $10,000 worth of cash in your business. Cash goes up, but under the equity section of the, the balance sheet, you might have a new investor, my mom, investor paid in capital. Now, as you grow your business, we often use other people's money, either investors' money or a loan to grow our assets. But the problem with that is, that at some point, they're going to want to get paid back and then some. So uh, debt can be helpful, especially when buying a truck. And an investment, especially at the beginning, might be necessary. But those two ways of growing your business run dry. 
the best way to grow your company dun, da, 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 is to charge more than it costs for stuffing to create a profit. And that information is found on the profit and loss. Sales minus expenses equals hopefully a positive number. And when you do that, your assets go up, your equity goes up, and you can grow your business through operations. And that is delicious. Now, the fourth way to grow your, your assets is you run a business so well. You've got turnkey systems. You're charging more than it costs for stuff. And you create this profit. You create a lot of profit and you take it in cash. So it's not stuck in accounts receivable. If you do that consistently over time, someone might buy your company for future profits. So you can actually sell your company for money you haven't even made yet if you're demonstrating that you've created this cash and profit generating machine. I get goosebumps talking about it. This is incredible stuff. Hey, up quickly here. <laughs> Ellen's Ellen's website, barebonesbiz.com. That's barebonesbiz.com. Ellen, what will they find there? Um, I give away a copy of Where Did the Money Go? If you go to barebonesbiz.com, another shortcut to get there is Ellen Rohr, my name.com, E-L-L-E-N-R-O-H-R.com. You'll find me there. Um, and I've got uh, a little, like, uh, put in your name and email address. You can get on my list and I'll share information about what I'm up to. In return, you can download a copy of Where Did the Money Go for free. So how about that? That's a great deal. Appreciate like you doing that for my listeners. Well, you, you know, you were sharing with me earlier that your purpose in life is to be of service. And that's why we're here today. Like, I want to help a brother out. I would have given my right arm to have this information when I was first getting started with my husband. So I wrote this thin book with pictures with these, you know, demonstrated financial reports to try and help another brother or sister out as they were going through the same thing. So I appreciate the platform today so I can talk about this stuff. It sounds like dry and unsexy and, you know, oh, who wants to do the accounting? But this is where it's all at. When you're a business owner, well, as Zig Ziglar says, money isn't everything, but it's right up there with oxygen. Keeping track of the money is your responsibility as a business owner. If you really don't want to do it and don't intend to do it, my encouragement is go get a job, but don't torture us with a business that doesn't work. Does that sound harsh? (laughs) (laughs) It sounds sounds like great advice. You know, Ellen, Ellen, I think the only business owners that go into business to get into balance sheets and profit and loss are accountants. We get into business because we have a passion for what we do. Plumbers, roofers, candy Mm -hmm. stores, dry cleaning, whatever you're into. Unfortunately, though, there are kind of some rules because when it comes to money, there are principles and rules. And in our country, there are some laws. <laughs> right. And we need to account for the greenbacks. It still all comes down to accounting. And yeah. here's a recommendation. Even if you don't do your own bookkeeping and accounting, most of us aren't CPAs. We hire that out. You need to understand your financials. Oh, so true. And, you know, my story goes back. First off, I you know, I get that. I was that person who didn't want to do the accounting. I whined, complained, tried to get rid of it, and I couldn't really afford to have anyone else do it. So I finally just did it my own self. 
And I'm so glad I learned it. I had mentors help me, my bookkeeper and, and CPA. They helped me as I was getting my uh, my arms around it. And what I found is, number one, it's not that hard. And number two, it's kind of fun. There is a technology, a mathematic basis for accounting, and it's almost like a Sudoku. The other thing is that it's cool to see the numbers change. You know, if you don't have cash and you start, you know, uh, making changes, charge more, collect now, you start to see the effect of those decisions on your wealth, on your position. You can do more things when you have enough cash. You can give money to your employees or to your community, to your family, you could buy something nice. You could provide more. It, it is really cool to embrace this. And if you're a if you're a plumber, you're already doing more math than is required in your accounting. So my hope is that you set aside your prejudices and your fear, perhaps, of embracing the financials long enough. Allow someone to help you. You know, at Zoom Drain, my current uh, activity right now is growing a franchise, Zoom Drain and Sewer. You know, a big part of my job is just helping people get the basic information that they need so they can keep score and make more money. It's, it's really a grand adventure. So Ellen, that's where the money went, right? Where'd the money go? Yeah. Okay. The next topic, which I think is a little more sexy. Yes. <laughs> How much should I charge as a home service provider? Let's go into that. Well, my personal journey was getting my arms around the balance sheet and the profit and loss. I call that getting to a known financial position. So once you know what you have for assets, liabilities, equity, sales, expenses, and then hopefully you're making a profit, you know, life gets better. But what you might find, and I did, when I got the, the balance sheet and the profit and loss right, you know, fixed it, cleaned it up, put the numbers in the right account. You know, it took me a hot minute to do that. But once I did, I looked at the information and it wasn't great. I had been operating at a loss. I had a whole bunch of debt. So I'm looking at these financial reports and thinking this is bad. Well, the good news of at least confronting it. Well, here's a story. Jim, once upon a time, I, as I was getting my arms around these financials, I would show my husband, here we've got a loss, we've got this debt, and I would say, we need more money, and he would hear, I'm not good enough, I'm not working hard enough. Mm. So can you just feel the stress of that? Yes. And there's a lot of mom-pop shops who are going to relate to that. Well, as I got the financial reports together, I would show him here's what we have for cash. Here's what we have for bills. Here's what we have in sales expenses. And you'll note we have a negative number for profit. It brought it from emotional level down to mechanics. It took the emotion out. It made it so much easier to talk about the money once I had some evidence and I had a number. This is how much we're short. So can you feel the energy of that? It was already so much better and so much less thrust to talk about it now that I had some data. So if the profit and loss, if sales minus expenses is a negative number, here's a tip. Put a budget together. Now, a budget uh, like dieting. I know it's a terrible word. Yeah, B that's word. A, that's a constraint. Right, exactly. No one likes the word budget. People get divorced over that. So let's be careful because often in a relationship at home, you know, you've got the yin and the yang. One spouse is a spender, the other one is a saver. Well, a lot mm -hmm. of small businesses start off in partnerships 
And we may have a similar situation at the office. Sure. And um, there's two ways to create a profit. One is to keep squeezing the expenses, right? Just get leaner and leaner and leaner. That's no fun. Or create a bigger top line. So if sales gets bigger and expenses remain the same, we're going to end up with a profit. Now, if we end up with a profit, we can use some of that profit to pay down our debt. In fact, the only way to get out of debt, well, let me say it, you, you, you will do both things. You'll get sales bigger and expenses tighter, but there's only those two mathematical constraints. Here's the problem with cutting your way to debt-free or cutting your way to profitability. I generally, with my franchisees, with my uh, business clients over the years, I don't see a lot of room for, for cutting. Who are you going to cut? Your salary? Your people's salary? You know, it's not like I see a lot of corporate jets and small islands packed into, you know, barreled into the pork barreled into these financials. Usually they're already running really lean. So, you know, what are you going to do? Well, our number one expense in business is labor, is wages. I'm going to cut that? No. You know, you're not making enough money. In fact, often the owners aren't taking any money out of the company. I know all about that. And so you can only cut so far. If you get into the habit, Ellen, of cutting back, you want to continue to cut back and continue to cut back until there's nothing to cut back on. You need to work on the top line. 10-4. Ding, ding, ding. So... This was my journey. So I'm looking at my uh, uh, financials. There's a bunch of debt in the liability section, ugh. And not a lot of cash up in assets, ugh, ugh. And then I look over at the profit and loss, and, well, that's a result of chronically operating at a loss. So when you charge less than it costs for stuff, at some point you run out of cash and you start going into debt. That's just that's, – there's not that many moving parts here. So my mentor said, well, the problem is you're not charging enough. So my response, my instant response to my mentor Frank's comment, you're not charging enough was, oh, wait a minute. You don't understand. You don't understand my cheap customers and my guys and their inability to sell things and blah, 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 blah. I started giving them all the reasons why my selling price is fixed, can't move. This is what everybody else in my market charges. I, you know, I gave him every excuse I could think of until he just said, well, what's going to change here? If your sales minus expenses is a negative number, all you're going to do is keep digging a hole. And uh, as anyone who knows, if you don't want the hole to get any deeper, you got to stop digging at some point. Right. So this was, again, it was the evidence from my financial reports that caused me to overcome the fear, the resistance. In my case, Jim, I thought if I raised my prices, I would go out of business. No one would call me and I could put a fork in it. I was so sick and tired of being broke, of being in debt, that I finally said, okay, I'm going to raise my prices and I'm going to prove to you that no one will pay them and that I'll go out of business and that's fine. I'll go get a job. Oh, I asked him, wow. is this you? <laughs> He's like, yeah sick of it. Let's that where we got the courage. I had nothing to lose at this point. I wasn't going to continue to dig the hole. So here's what happened. 
I raised my prices. In fact, we quintupled our prices, 500% increase. This is going back to like 1989, but we went from $30 an hour to about 150. I actually had a little stopping point at 11250. I remember my first price increase went from $30 an hour to 11250, and then it went to 150, and then it went to 250. And you know why? Because we just started to make more money. I, you know, I remember a couple of people early on when we first raised our prices who gave me a hard time and said, I'm never going to use you again. And I thought, oh, this is going to be everybody. But it wasn't everybody. Part of why I could raise my prices, this is really important too, is as I was figuring out this budget, I put a budget together, I added up all my projected costs of doing business, including raises for me, raises for the guys, nicer trucks, nicer materials, nicer everything. Put a list together, came up with a top line, how much we're going to have to make in sales to fund all of those expenses and still leave us a hefty amount of profit. That's a budget. It's pretend. It's goal setting. It's just a, it's just a game. This is how much I want to spend. This is how much I'd have to sell to get there. And this is how much we would make if we do it. So from that exercise, creating a budget, creating goal setting, now I've got a game plan. I've got some goals for what we're shooting for. And I shared this with my team. That's really important. I had to show them what's in it for them. Um, we were losing money. This will be making money. Are you in? And? and? And the yeah. second piece of this is kind of <laughs> the, the topic of our, our conversation right now. Well, so what will that do for our selling price? How much should I charge? What does that mean for our selling price? So if, you're, if you've got your notebook out and you're taking notes, here's the formula that my mentor taught me. And this is what I use to this day. I've used with hundreds of clients. I've used with our pal Howard Partridge to help him uh, uh, make more money, have more fun. Uh, you add up all your costs of doing business and you divide it by the number of widgets you're going to sell and then charge more than that to your desired amount of profit. How so much? How, oh, so to your desired amount of profit. Okay, go ahead. Your desired amount of profit. So let's just do like one line item of the, of the profit and loss. Let's suppose you want to make a hundred thousand dollars as a uh, window washer. $100,000 is a window washer, and you're going to work all by yourself. Well, here's uh, some simple math. Let's say you have 2,000 hours a year uh, over which you can uh, uh, get your work done. Earn money. Those That's are 50. earnable hours. Yeah, so 50 weeks times 40 hours a week. That's okay. how I came up with 2,000. You with me? Okay, yes. Got it. Okay. We have 2,000 hours. I sell as a window washer. I'm selling time. Home services, plumbing, heating, cooling, electrical, uh, all of these are time widgets. All of those services, there's some material involved, yes, but the constraint is time. I've got to make sure I'm, I'm charging enough per hour per day to make this thing work. Does that make sense? Yes. So I'm going to add up my cost of doing business. Let's just start with my salary of $100,000. If I want to make $100,000 this year, I've got to divide it by the widget of time. Now, I've got a total of 2,000 hours for the year. Here's the rub. Some of that time is not billable, right? Mm, yeah, so that's true. Doing accounting, marketing, 
uh, running around and getting parts, washing your truck, buying stuff, talking to people, right? So there's there's more things to do in a day than just the actual window washing. And what I found, and unless you have some evidence to the contrary, this is a good number to get you started. About half that time will be billable and the other half would be not billable. So if I want to make $100,000 this year and about half of my time is billable, that would be 1,000 hours. You need to make $100 an hour, Ellen. I need to charge $100 an hour just for my salary. And I haven't bought a pencil, a computer, a truck, insurance, marketing, a uniform. I haven't bought any of that stuff yet. Now, if you're ready to like stop breathing right now because you're seeing where this is going, understand that I believe, I know, this is how I operate, that the way to make money in home services is to be a premium priced provider you're going to be more expensive than the guy who never took pencil to paper, never put a little budget together, never did the math I just described. And that is whom, against whom you will be competing in your market area, just saying it. And I've been doing this for 30 years. The poor will be with us always. There are going to be people who never do this. And it's really going to be the majority of your competition. But Alan, you don't what? understand. I can't right? charge $100 an hour before my truck washing and my uh, pencils and all the other supplies I need. So you're talking, I'm going to have to charge $150 an hour, and my competition charges 75 You are speaking truth. And so this is why, like, the, the one piece of the puzzle that I bring to the party is this math component, is I got real with it through the help of my great mentors. And then I started at my friend, my mentor, Frank said, this is taking the medicine. I took the medicine. I raised my prices. And here's the thing. If you're going to raise your prices, you have to be better. Does that make sense? If you're going to charge more, you got to be better. You have to be an excellent service provider. And let me just cut in here a little bit. And you know this, Ellen, if you really want to be the premier service provider in your space, in your marketplace. You need to do everything right. When you watch the evening news and you see the plumbers on there and the HVAC companies and the electricians, those guys are the guys that are charging a lot because they have to, to take care of the cost of advertising, to have the best trucks, to supply those trucks fully stocked, and to take care of their people. Yep. And those companies are everywhere. They're all over the place. As a matter of fact, I'm writing a book called The Ubiquitous Contractor. That means it's everywhere, what? okay? That contractor, whether it's an abacus, plumbing, air conditioning, and electrical in my hometown of Houston or in Phoenix and many other states, you've got Tommy Mello's A1 Garage Door Service. These are ubiquitous in those markets. And the the um, those companies who created that level of success, like Alan O'Neill and Abacus and Tommy at A1 and, and a host of others, a host of others, but keep in mind, there still are the outliers. They're still the ones who are brave enough to do the math, to figure out how much they're going to charge and make a great living for the people who work with them and offer great value to the people they work for. That's what you can do with premium prices. And someone will say, well, those guys are pricing themselves out of their market. You know, they're the biggest ones. 
their customers may still see the value of those services. Now, nobody wants to pay for, I, you know, I do drain cleaning. That's what we do at Zoom Drain. People don't want to call a drain cleaner. Nobody wants to call me ever. However, we're going to be the hero on a good day. When we do it right, we're going to make that problem go away. We're going to keep them free of disease. They're going to be okay paying our prices because we showed up clean, sober, on time, dressed right, and use a checklist. Those, that's what allows me to be premium priced, as opposed to the guy who charges less but doesn't call you back, doesn't show up. The, unfortunately, there are a lot of really, really good people in the trades who aren't charging enough, and it causes them to compromise their service. They can't go on a callback because there was not enough money in the in the job in the first place, or they can't answer the phone live. They don't have enough money to hire someone. So the unless you're charging enough, you have to compromise your service on some level. It's the hard truth, and I, and and it breaks my heart. That's why I do what I do. That's why I'm here today. If you're tired of being not profitable, if you're tired of the cash being tight, if you're tired of not being able to give your team members bonuses and raises. <sighs> Do the math, come up with a, a budget, uh, some goals for your company, crunch the numbers. How much would I need to charge per hour to make that top line of the budget work? And then figure out how to be better. You know, Jim, once upon a time when I raised my prices with my family business company, all I did was buy them new shirts. Just new shirts. Wow. That's where we started. Let's at least look nice, clean, sober, on time, dressed right, use a checklist. You know, just raise your standards a bit at a time and your customers pay for it. You want new shirts, you add that to your budget, it increases your selling price and off we go. You know, Ellen, let me throw something else out there for the home service providers listening who are sweating a little bit right now and scratching their head. Making you sweat. Yeah, exactly. So not only is Ellen helping you today, to become more profitable or maybe profitable, period, okay? Mm -hmm. But she's opening the door to a better customer because the low-life customer isn't going to buy from you. You're going to have a premier customer because you're a premier provider, and it's a much better world to live in. Yeah, and I think so many customers have just been underserved. Like, we're sure they're going to be cheap. We're sure they're going to complain. You don't have to do anything fancy. Just show up, clean, sober, on time, dress right, use a checklist, and be kind and helpful and follow a simple sales process. This is why, in addition to becoming better at financials, commit to your education as a marketer, as a sales. Commit to writing those operations manuals. Our friend Al Levy is, you know, was is my best friend and was very influential at Zoom Drain and helping us create these manuals that are, I think, the, the best in class across the trades right now. You know, you're be better. And as a result of, you know, that you raise your prices, you can increase your standards. And this is how you're going to run a, a, a business that is commensurate with the service you provide to mankind through your, your, your business. Like you deserve to make a lot of money. And so do the people who work with you. And customers will pay for that kind of service if we don't judge them, if we just make good offerings to them. Mrs. Fernwicky, we could do A, we could do B. How would you like me to get started? Easy peasy. It is. Ellen, like anything else, you have to feel that you're worthy. 
mm-hmm. in life, if we don't feel that we're worthy of a great partner, of a nice car, the right job, a profitable business, we won't get it. You have to feel worthy. A lot of this is psychological. As a matter of fact, all of it is. Oh, so true. It's psychological. So- You've got to get in the mindset. And you deserve to make a profit. I have been working with home service providers for 20 years now. I have some that say, Jim, I just can't charge that. It just doesn't feel right. And I said, yeah, and you still don't own your own house. You drive Mm -hmm. beater trucks. The magnetic sign that has your company name on it is still askew. So you might want to fix that. Is your insurance up to date? I mean, come on, guys. Get it together. It's so true. And, you know, we were talking about this when we saw each other last, like, I'm not as concerned about your customer as I am about you. You deserve to make a great living. Like this has been the last 30 years of my life. I see the, it's like the giving tree. There's so many contractors who've given everything to their customers and their, their customers have gotten the deal of the lifetime but the contractors may not. You know, after 20, 30 years of crawling under houses, turning wrenches, your back hurts, your knees hurt, do you have enough money to live out the rest of your life? Do your team members have some hope of buying a home, of retiring? Like this is, my concern lies with the contractor. You know, I think customers have gotten a really good deal for a really long time. I mean, think of what contractors do. Electricians wrangle lightning, power the internet, lights come on at a the flick of a button. This, this happened in a couple of generations. It didn't used to be the way people lived. And then HVAC contractors create weather, a little humidity, a little cool, a little heat. Isn't that amazing? Plumbers keep good water from bad water. That's why we're not dying of all kinds of diseases. They prevented more diseases than doctors will ever cure. Drain, drain cleaners and septic professionals, they turn bad water back into good water. I call them the wine into water guys. Isn't that amazing? (laughs) It is. Through my eyes, like this is, it is a self-esteem issue. And when you look at it through my eyes, I don't know how to do the technical work, but I sure do appreciate it. And I am a champion of tradespeople. And so I think you deserve it. The the self-esteem thing, I I don't know who said this. It was either Frank Blau or Mark Victor Hans, and I've heard this a couple of places, but you can raise your prices as often as you raise your self-esteem. And so this beating the drum of the value of what you do as a business owner is so important because the kids who find their way to my company, someone's given them a hard time for being a drain cleaner. Maybe their mom or a friend, wait a minute, you're cleaning drains. Well, however you got here, your path here, this is what our trainer, John Galligan says, your path here now can take go one of two directions. You can either go a direction where you just mail it in. It isn't uh, a career for you. You just want to um, do this long enough to get on to the next job. And that's an option. You can always leave. But there's another path, and it's the path of the professional, that you could embrace this as a trade, that you could make really great money. Our drain cleaners, our best drain cleaners at Zoom Drain make over 100 grand. That's a good job, right? And so yeah. that's the path we encourage them to take, to look at this as a, an essential job that's never going anywhere, never going to be outsourced, and you could move up the ladder here and uh, make a great living for you and your family while doing right by our customers. I'm getting goosebumps talking about it. I love (laughs) it. This has been fantastic. 
Oh, um, you're the best. Thank you, Jim. Thank you so much. I love what you do. I love your radio voice. And uh, I know that you have the brightest and best minds on this on this podcast as well as your own. Um, you're very generous with your platform, and I appreciate you. No, thank you, Ellen. EllenRoar.com. Ellen's full of energy. She <laughs> she did give us a lot of information today, a lot of great nuggets, but to drill down deeper, go to her website, ellenroar.com or barebonesbiz.com. Just Google Ellen Roar, R-O-H-R, and you will find her there. Ellen, we need to do this again. You and I could talk for hours and hours and hours. We are soul brother and sister. Yeah, thank you so yeah. much. I appreciate it. Love, love, love. Thanks so much. 